If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi there. Hi, Adrian. I'm Paige Cook, and I am the mom of an 11-year-old T1D who was diagnosed at 8 right before, about 6 months before the pandemic hit. We had a pretty quick six months before the pandemic hit. And then management became very uh, routine because we were together all the time. In January, our son, who was had just turned 11, went back into uh, in-person school. So we spent about two and a half years managing for him, basically all the heavy lifting, and then putting him back in in-person school. It was a quick uphill battle for him to take on independently managed during the school day. Just in the recent, as of recent, he's decided to stop logging food the way we normally do. Uh, mm-hmm. We use a feature called Chronometer, and that helps us to figure out the breakdown of the macronutrients in his daily diet. He's really cut back on keeping track of what he's consuming and it's wreaked havoc. And then something that we've termed rage dosing has reared its ugly head. He's guessing and then he'll just overdose. So then we're having these roller coaster moments when you know we can see, uh, we don't know what's going on. But then when we ask him like, what happened? He's not logging things that he's eaten. So the question is more like, is this just a phase of his management and will he want to go back to man? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, rage dosing is scary because we, mm-hmm. the highs are scary. The lows are scary and leaving him members and friends is not always, uh, we, we need to do it for our sanity, but it always makes us feel like we're losing control. Mm-hmm. When you leave him with other people or when he's taking care of himself, you mean? Correct. Mm-hmm. Tell me what grade he's in, Paige. Sixth grade. Sixth. Uh-huh. So he went back to school in fifth after having managed at home with you guys doing all the management, more or less. And when when he's home, are you bolusing for him? Like, how is that looking? He does all the bolusing himself using the pump. Mm-hmm. Um, but the constant reminders like, hey, 15 minutes, you know, you just dosed. Give this a 15-minute lead. Set a timer on your watch. It's constant reminders and... Wait, what's the 15-minute lead for? So for breakfast dose, Mm -hmm. um, we have the same breakfast every morning and we'll say, okay, make sure you dose, set a timer so you know when to start eating. But it usually uh, 15 minutes keeps a spike from happening. So if Mm -hmm. we pre-dose what he's about to eat, Mm -hmm. then we don't see... I mean, it just stays really flat, a beautiful Mm -hmm. flat line. We've figured out the timing for what we eat and the uh, impact it would have on Dexcom shows us. Mm -hmm. And how is dosing handled at school? What happens when he's at school? We don't know. He has been doing the last couple of days has been doing a really great job of 
uh, we talk about what he's going to have for lunch. So sometimes he'll pack his lunch or sometimes he knows based on what the school nurse and the lunch ladies provide carbohydrates of what he's going to eat. And he's been having some great days lately because we had quite an emotional week previous. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? He was up into the 400s. Mm -hmm. His sight ripped out overnight. Just a lot of sleepless nights, Mm -hmm. uh, sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. What is your diabetes support network look like? Like, do you have other Uh, families you know with kids with type 1? Have you been in any environments where there are other kids with type 1? What's that looking like, that support for you and for your family? Uh, I really don't ask our other friends, like, how do you deal with this? Because I don't want to compare myself to someone else's management and Mm -hmm. like the way that they help with their kids. So locally, we have a family that we've signed off. So if something happens and they needed to change a Dexcom sensor or an infusion set at school, because that's not something the school nurse will do, they are happy to fill in if my husband or I isn't available to do that. Mm-hmm. Small support system. Yeah. So Paige, I'm feeling like you had a, like a double-edged sword with the pandemic. So the upside for people who were diagnosed in the pandemic was that you've got to really be at home and you've got to take care of it all the time. The downside is because you had such a long period of time with such incredibly tight management and because you weren't thrown into having to manage in real conditions, you have an idea that you can keep a flat line all the time. And I think that's just not real. And so we're, you know, and there, I want to name, there are people out there who will promote that idea. I don't think it's real almost at all, especially for children. If your son, when he grows up, decides he wants to live a life where he has an incredibly low-carb diet and he's really, really tight with control and management, he may be able to do that. I will name that my 23-year-old son is a very diligent manager and he cannot do that. He is not successful at that. So I'm wondering what it feels like when I say to you, we need to loosen some of your idea of what he should be doing to manage. The idea that he should be logging, I don't know what that program is, feels like too much. The idea that he sets a timer for eating feels like too much. And yeah, you might have a spike. Yeah, you will. You'll figure it out. That happens for almost everybody with breakfast. I'm not saying it's the happiest thing, but I feel like no wonder he's upset about this. It's too tight. Like It feels like a noose to him, to me. And so I'm going to pause because I want to see what your reaction is to that so that we can think through where to go from here. Definitely. We put off the pump for two years Mm -hmm. because we had an A1C of Mm 5.9 with MDI, Mm -hmm. multiple daily injections. Mm -hmm. And then when we went finally to get on the pump, they said, this is not possible with the pump. Mm-hmm. That even with control IQ, even in sleep mode, there's no way we'll be able to keep it if that's what your goal is. And that's when I started thinking, oh, this isn't fair. Like for some reason, I think my husband and I think getting him a perfect day where he's always in range and keeping that flat line is something that we should aim for. But then it's like almost treating him like not like a human. And um, I've just been really struggling because. I feel the need to text him if I see him rising when he's at school. And I don't because I don't I don't want diabetes to interfere with any concentration at school or any social engagement he's having because they suffered, I think, being out of school for two years. Yeah, just going back in and making a new set of friends. But then on top of everything, he doesn't want to identify with it. 
Mm-hmm. So his friends, you know, hear beeps, but they don't know what they are. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to identify. He doesn't want to have other friends that are type one because he'd like to pretend like it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like we are too tight with him in management. But I'm afraid if we aren't tight, then he's going to be lax. And I have family members that have died from type one, three family members um, on my dad's side. So I have a lot of fear around management. Can you tell me about those family members? Yeah, my dad had um, five siblings and two of them had type one. One of them lost his eyesight, had amputations, had a kidney transplant from his spouse who was a match died in his mid 40s. And then his son was diagnosed in his teenage years. And then in his 30s was camping with friends, was drinking alcohol and went into coma. And then my other uncle lived into his 60s, but died from type 1 complications. So when my Max was diagnosed, and uh, we were in shock, they said, Oh, do you have family members? Is there a history of type 1? And I was shaking my head no. And then I thought, Oh my gosh, yes. I have three family members and that means the D word to me. Mm-hmm. So no wonder you're trying to keep such a tight control on this. It makes a lot of sense that you are. And I have all sorts of questions about what, you know, like your uncle's management who died in his 40s and his mid 40s, what that looked like. Because like it's like a perfect storm here of worry, right? Because your experience of diabetes is that it's not survivable where the data really shows that it is survivable, right? That people with type 1 have... I've heard and read different things in the data, but basically the data points to either same lifespan or a few years less, like two or three years less, but nothing like dies in mid-60s when should live to mid-80s, right? But you have this lived experience in your family history that, of course, um, amps up your anxiety in a very real way. So that makes a lot of sense to me. What I know from where I am standing and thinking about this is that you want your child to be able to have a positive relationship to their diabetes as much as is possible. They're angry at it. They hate it. They don't want it, right? So how do you get somebody to embrace care when they hate the thing? And the more rigid it becomes, the harder it is to embrace. So how can they embrace it? because it's manageable enough. It's safe enough, right? Things like uh, him logging his food for a breakdown of macronutrients. I'm like, all we need to know is the carbs. That's it. That's all we need to know. Yes. Is it harder to dose for pizza because there's fat in there and protein in there? Uh Uh-huh. If you have a regular lunch that you're eating every day and it has a hot dog and a roll or whatever it is, you can figure it out over time is a smarter strategy than making it so onerous for him that he's going to reject the whole thing. That's my global thought. But again, I'm going to pause and I want to hear your reaction to it because you have a lot of family trauma. Like even if you don't remember, you know, when he was diagnosed, you didn't remember your uncles and their son, your first cousin, you are still carrying that family trauma. And it makes sense to me that you're holding so tight to this. We have found that when we do Um, track the amount of protein and fat in the meal. Mm -hmm. We also know uh, and have an understanding of when he begins to rise after dosing the carbs. So whether it be an hour to two hours later, we know if we've tracked those grams, then we know how much insulin it would require. Uh, Or if if we know he had, say, 
20 grams of protein, that would be equivalent to a unit that would change his blood sugar within two hours. So we wouldn't dose it until two hours after he ate. Mm -hmm. But at least we know we've tracked it. We understand why he's going up versus wondering, did you sneak a snack? Did you have... (laughs) That's another thing we're dealing with is sneaking snacks. And so I know I didn't have that. Well, there's a wrapper. Yeah, I want to change the language. He ate without dosing. He's not sneaking anything. He's trying to be normal. And we need to figure out you know, you need to figure out with your husband, but this is what I'm talking to you about is where can you let go so that he gets to be normal, right? Tracking all your macronutrients is not normal for a child his age, even for a diabetic kid. This is why I asked about what your community is like. I feel like you going to family camp would be really, really good, right? Because you would see how other families are not doing all these things and their kids are fine and healthy and running around and maybe even dosing more and being more cooperative with their parents. You're also going to hit, he's 11, you're going to hit a period where he's really not cooperative, where he's really not doing this well. That's what the data shows. Again, I'm not predicting this. I have no magic ball. It's just based on the data into the teen years. This is what you're going to get some of. And so the question is, how can you keep your relationship with him strong enough through this so that you can keep having a positive connection and diabetes gets woven in, knowing that he will course correct by the data as he hits his 20s. I actually interviewed somebody for one of my Sweet Talk programs. She's now, I'm going to say in her late 20s, early 30s, and she was diagnosed at 15, I think, 16 maybe, and was rage-filled about having a diagnosis. Didn't dose, didn't take care of herself. It was terrible. Lied to her parents all the time, even though they kind of knew what was going on. And now she does an amazing job. She uses, She's on multiple daily injections. She hated wearing a pump. She takes a phrase. She like has figured out what different insulins do for her. So where you are now is not the total story. And so you need to somehow figure out how you can quiet your own nervous system around diabetes. So you can allow some normalcy into your son's life so that he can have a different relationship to you because it's going to be all diabetes, right? And then eventually have a different relationship to diabetes. I think family camp would be really, really good for your family. How does that Is that just once a year locally? It is, there are many different family camp options in the local Bay Area and there are other family camps in other places, I think. I know there are other overnight camps, but my, based on what you're saying about his desire to not be associated with anyone with type one, like he doesn't want to be associated with that for good reasons, right? It's just taking over his life. You're going to need to choose family camp because he's going to go kicking and screaming and that's fine. He can go kicking and screaming. It's going to be a family vacation. And so you're all going to go and be kicking and screaming. And that's okay. That's okay. But I think you need the normalizing of what it looks like out in the world. And yeah, you're going to be the superstar managers. But the question is, at what cost? Like, yeah, you know, if he has a 10 grams of protein, 20 grams of protein, you add an extra unit of carbs. But at what cost to the relationship and to his unwillingness slash willingness to manage his diabetes? Yeah, right. Currently, it's a high cost. It's it's not worth it. And I've started backing off. But when it starts to inter- or interfere in my husband and I's relationship, because we manage a little differently, it's mm-hmm. it starts to feel like this massive problem. And I don't... I mean, I can back off. And I understand that what we're embarking on is a few years of resistance and rebellion. But it just takes a toll on the family when we when we're trying to be too rigid with management. 
Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't spend much time talking to other families because I feel like it's something that I don't want to talk about when I'm not managing with Max. Like I want to escape it myself. So the minute that he's out on his own, I want to do something other than talk about diabetes. So I've put off therapy for myself. I've, I know which I know I need for it. I've wanted to join some of the counselings that you've done. And I've talked to friends and family. And it's something that I keep shooting on myself. I say, I should do this. I should do this. But the minute that he's off on his own, I want to run away from it as well. Yeah, so I, I've just not done the work on yeah. myself. And I wonder how much of that is what he's doing too, right? That there, you're saying a number of different things. So let me start at the end, right? You're shooting on yourself. I should do all these things. My guess is he is too. And he also wants to turn away from it, right? Like you're all kind of in a place where if you're not in connection with each other, you need to turn away from it because it's so unbearable. And so at camp, do people talk about diabetes? Yes. But what I actually have a fantasy for you that you get to have is that you get just to be immersed in a situation where everyone's doing it, where you're not having to talk about it. Although that for sure is a conversation that will come up. You know, it's just in the soup all the time, but you're going to watch people and he will watch people and that will normalize it to some degree. But yeah, you have a pretty big hit here of trauma and you really want to, your strategy, your emotional strategy is to keep turning away from it. That makes sense to me. It's still a heavy load in the relationship with him because of that. The other thing I'm hearing, and I don't know what this looks like, is that between you and your husband, there's there could be conflict because you have different ways of managing, which is not uncommon and can be very, very hard to navigate, right? And so there's a lot of discussion that needs to happen about what each person is wanting, what you're thinking, what you think would be best for your relationship with your son. To me, that's always the thing that should be in the forefront is your relationship with him, right? Because he might do a terrible job of management at some points, <laughs> right? But you can talk to him about it if you have a relationship with him. If he gets rejecting of you is when you're in trouble, right? And I actually don't think you have years, what were the words you used? Years of rebellion. I don't think of it as rebellion. I think of it as forgetfulness, genuine forgetfulness, right? Like my teenage daughter never remembers to dose before a meal. So for breakfast, I say, when I wake her up, like, go ahead and dose. But for lunch, I watch the rise and I text her and say, don't forget for lunch, right? I know that she will get better as she gets older. I would love for him to just live his life and to be able to let me, I would love to manage it, but I know that that's not helping him and mm -hmm. for him to be independent. We need to let him go up to 250 and not say anything and let his alarms go off. It's just, we're just going through um, a new way of managing where he is not as on top of things, but we have to let him manage it in his own way. We carry a food scale, which also feels, you know, when we're out in public and we're eating something, we weigh what he's having. So we have an idea. But even I've started to feel like, I don't like doing this anymore. Yeah, you don't need to. You've got it in your head. There was one dietitian who I thought she had a brilliant idea, which is like once a year, once every nine months, re-up. So remeasure everything because your eyeball will have lost its sense. Like she actually suggested weighing all the bananas and writing on the skin how many carbs it is just to remind yourself. But really, by two plus years in, you have in your brain, you know, and you have a close enough idea. Again, it's onerous the way you're managing. 
I think that you can see where you can be flexible. I'm actually thinking, frankly, my put diabetes in its place course could be really helpful for you because in that course, we identify a place you could be more flexible and you start to work from that spot. And so it feels to me like this is going to be baby steps for you. I have a feeling it's not going to be able to happen all at once. But in the name of preserving your relationship with your son, I think that being a little more flexible with management is going to be important because this has taken over your life, right? It's really everything. If you're eating out with a scale, it's really everything. Or we only go to certain places because we know the normal. Um, like we'll go to Chipotle and we can tell by the way that they're scooping, you know, oh, that's a standard serving or that's what they list as the nutrition facts on their website. So we don't need to use a scale, but places where we go and they've used different oils or different things, we don't know what's in it. Then we have a really hard time of bringing a skyrocketing blood sugar back to a normal place or. Um, a healthier place. Yep. It can feel scary. And there's this idea that a 400 or a 300, the house is burning down and it's not. You're going to correct some of historically, like this is where I have questions about your uncle. Sure. If you let yourself be in those kinds of ranges for days on end, there are going to be problems, but that's not what we're looking at in today's world for most people. Again, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't guarantee safety for your son. But I think what you are wanting to aim for is good enough management so that he can continue to do that over time because none of us are perfect, right? And this is too long a job to get it perfect. So marathon, not a sprint, right? A sprint you can do perfectly. That's why I kind of expect that people in the first year are still weighing things and are still really, really careful, but you can't sustain it. It's not a sustainable lifestyle for most people. And I say it like that because I do think there are rare people, like my father has type one and he's one of them. He eats the same breakfast and lunch pretty much every day. Like that's how he manages. But I think people who can do that are actually pretty rare, right? Because our bodies actually require, like I think our systems want more variety, our systems want diversity, our systems want sugar, our bodies want these things. And so we have to learn how to manage them rather than depriving ourselves of them. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talk's After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to Diabetes Sweet Talk. Dot courses. This is a lot, Paige. This is a really big. This is the lift that many families have at the beginning, and you got something coded in for like two years of like, I can make this perfect all the time. I can make a flat line. He can have a magical A1C, and it's going to be hard to turn that ship. And it sounds like you know it needs to be turned, but it takes a lot of courage on your part to do. I've just been procrastinating, but I know that as a parent, I can be a better teammate or support where I think I've been wrong and not attaching shame to management, but 
using the wrong words and then he internalizes it. So then it is damaging to our relationship. That's really brave of you to say, right? When we're really being reflective and we can name the places where we think we could do better, it's hard, right? And I can see you're doing it out of love for your son and you can feel that it's just terrible. And I'm sure he also is terrified when he goes out of range, right? Because none of it's been normalized for him, right? So the rage bolusing probably comes in part from that terror of like, oh my God, I'm violating all the family rules and these terrible things are going to happen to me because I can tell because my parents are so anxious about them. So some of it also is about you taking a breath and recognizing the end of the world is not coming for him to be out of range sometimes, right? I think that we aim for 70% in range, which is hard for many people. If you dialed it down a few notches, my guess is you're in 70% range almost all the time, right? So there's some wiggle room there. We had an incident that I think I'm still experiencing trauma with. About three weeks ago, we were at a friend's house. Another really fantastic family that have type 1 in their Mm -hmm. family. And um, Max had mentioned as we're biking over there, he goes, Oh, my blood sugar wasn't coming down. So I dosed myself a unit. And then he goes, I dosed myself five units. And I said, You did what? Why? And then when we got to where we were going, I was watching how the crash was happening. And he'd actually dosed one plus three plus five. Oh, wow. So I knew after biking aggressively, because with exercise and dosing, it almost makes it times two, you know, the sensitivity. So he couldn't get enough juice down and we called 911. So we're all standing there. Paramedics are on standby because I was so afraid Mm -hmm. I could not keep him. And we didn't want to use the... um, Baximi, mm-hmm. because I'd heard the after effects of Baximi are a little bit wonky. So I just needed a backup there. And I looked at Max and I was like, what's going on? Why, why did we do that? We've never done that. And I, it made me sit back and think, what, what have I been doing wrong? Why he wouldn't say, Hey, mom, I'm having a hard time. What do you think about this? So we did have a conversation about if you're wondering how much you should dose, let's maybe have a quick meet about Okay, this makes sense if you've had this many carbs. Like, let's do the math together. Mm-hmm. But I think he really just, that's what I, I call rage dosing is he's not seeing a, a result to dosing. So he just overdosed. Well, I think it comes from shame, Paige, not rage, right? In his case, I think there's a sense of not wanting to show it to you because he's scared of what's going to happen. And he probably, or possibly, I should say, wants to protect you because he doesn't want you to be in pain. Whatever he's seeing ripple through the family, he knows he's the cause of. So a few thoughts here, which is one, like, again, see if you can turn down the volume on your dysregulation when he's high. So I do have a self-care kit. If you go onto my website, and I'm pretty sure it's in that there is a self, there is a tool in there for what to do when kids are high, like just a mindfulness tool, because it can be dysregulating. Like what you're experiencing is not unique. It's just longer. It's just going on longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thought I have for you. The other thought is, I don't know who your um, endo is or where they are, but some endocrinologists will use and support you using mini gluc. So it's a partial dose of glucagon that can help somebody come up from a low. So you should ask your endocrinologist if that's something that you could get if they will support you in using. Because I know that when we've had lows like that, and we have them for sure, Mm -hmm. We give a mini gluc dose and it keeps us from having to call 911. 
And it just makes the whole thing calmer. It just brings the whole level down. So I hear you. And that is really a distressing moment for sure. And so it's the question is here pretty clear. How do you repartner with him around this? Because he probably doesn't want the distress. He doesn't want the burden, right? All of which makes total sense. And how can you turn the dial down enough on your anxiety and normalize it a little more that sometimes he is going to be out of range? It doesn't mean you shouldn't add insulin to have him come down, right? And of course, adding the insulin first makes it easier. We all know these things, but it's not a perfect system. It's a lifetime of this. So how can you help support him being able to manage it from over the lifetime? Yeah. We had, um, there were some nights right around Halloween where he was hungry at eight o'clock and the food he picked <laughs> kept, we'd wake up every hour and a half and just notice he was just hanging right around 300. And by the time it was 5 a.m. and my husband and I looked at each other and like, we didn't sleep. We were awake all night because those, that's what he chose to eat. And so we just, I was so not wanting to shame him, but I just said, Max, I'm losing so much sleep every night because I wake up to dose you because he doesn't wake up. So I'm like, we need to figure out, I don't know. I just don't know what to do when I need sleep to function every day. And I've gone weeks with massive sleep deprivation, but he's going to eat at eight o'clock. I can't cut him off at six o'clock, but it just, when I see him eat at eight o'clock, I almost think, well, I'm going to be a zombie tomorrow. And is he, everything he's eating is causing him to go up that high all night? No, not everything. Mm-hmm. There's so many times where I feel like, hey, eat an apple, eat a banana. And he'll just look at me like, oh, it's not what I feel like. And I let him... He just He's a kid. I know he's mm-hmm. going to eat what he wants. But there's other nights where I don't know how to meet him. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, hey, I know you want to have that snack. But can we have it tomorrow morning where it's easier to manage during the day versus this is not something you normally eat this late. Plus, we just see how beautifully we all sleep when he stops eating at six. We do something after dinner, like a walk or something active just to get that food digesting. But we... I mean, it's just with these nights where it's starting to get dark earlier, you know, we're going to bed earlier, we're not doing as much, but it's really cutting into our sleep cycles Mm -hmm. when he's Mm -hmm. hungry at seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I think hungry at seven o'clock, eight o'clock is can be normal. What I'm wondering about is can you, I think sleep is a critical issue. Like that to me feels critical. Whereas the rise from 20 grams of protein does not feel critical, right? During the day. So thinking about how learning to manage whatever it is he's going to eat and also changing your alarms and don't look at that Dexcom. Really do okay. not roll over and look. Set your alarm so that if he's over 250 for two hours, it goes off and that's it. And trust that it's there and that you get to throw in a few extra units and then look with your endo at how to make the correction factor stronger at night if it's not working. I used to do exactly what you're doing. I would beg my son. This was pre-CGM, pre-pub. And I would have to set alarms. And if we went out for like a hamburger, oh my goodness, I'd be up all night. right? <laughs> And I would beg him, like we were going to the place, but I'd still beg him to not have the like fries and the um, fries with it. So obnoxious, right? And I had a friend who said her son ate ice cream every night. I'm like, what? Because this was food to me to avoid. And she said, yeah, I think it's just built into his basils. 
<laughs> right? So there's another way to handle this page, which is that you work yeah. with your endo team so that whatever the snacks are that he wants to throw down at 8 p.m., you kind of got it covered because I'm assuming he's on a closed loop. Yeah. Is he on? Yeah. What? Yeah. So you've just got to change your ratios there and you've got to change your alarms so you have a little more sanity. Yeah. He will develop a food issue. I have in my family, there's food issues. So I, I see it coming. If I'm, te- if I'm cutting him off and keeping him from something, that's what he will run to. And that's mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. I don't want to rebel, but that's what he will crave. But the thing that's kept from him is what he will that's, gravitate because towards. Because it's normal human behavior. That doesn't make him somehow deviant. It's just normal. That's the way it is, right? Restriction is what causes eating disordered behaviors, period. That's it. Yeah. So the question is, and actually I have a free webinar on December 14th called Let Them Eat Cake, question mark. Again, you can go to my website to find it. But the bottom line is we don't want to restrict our kids, even though we do, we're dying to. We're like, if you would just not eat all these carb-laden things, life would be so much easier for all of us, right? But we've got to figure out how to do it another way. Yeah. No, I will definitely tap into that self-care kit. I didn't know that that was there. For mindfulness, you said, okay. There's a few different tools in there. Yeah. So I think you also want to tap into your endo a little bit more. Okay. Call the nurses, ask, download the pump, say, these are the snacks he had the last three nights. How do we do better with this? Because this is what he wants to eat. And I want to let him, they're going to say great. And they're going to help you with your settings. Okay. Yeah. And then you still have um, like a group sessions that you do with other uh, parents, correct? Yeah, I have ongoing coaching groups. The calendar is up on my webpage also. Okay. Um, and in January, there are going to be new groups. There's one called After Diagnosis that doesn't apply to you. It's in the first year. And then there's another one called Put Diabetes in Its Place, which would be, I think, very helpful for you. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, my sisters were actually asking if they could get that for me as a gift. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Because every time we get together and debrief about our lives, they always are like, Paige, every time you're talking about how you need to do this for yourself. And I'm like, okay, here's, that's the perfect gift idea. <laughs> that's lovely. You have good sisters. Yeah, it sounds like you, but I like what they're saying that I think is true is that you are deserving and needing more support and more people who speak this language and understand what you're going through. Definitely. And then I... I couldn't tell my husband what he needs, but I, I think I think if he sees a change in me, mm-hmm. that that will help motivate him. He's more of an analytic, mm-hmm. so he's mm-hmm. into data and mm-hmm. structure. And we do see how we would handle it if it were we were managing as you know forty somethings, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not possible. And I don't want to put the burden on my son, who's he's got a lifetime of it, so. Yeah. And also I want to name, I had worked in a study at UCSF with adults with type one. And one woman in the study was diagnosed as an adult. And she had gone through college watching all her or a lot of her friends struggle with eating disordered behaviors. And she didn't understand it. It just kind of wasn't part of her wiring. And then she got diabetes. And she's like, I really get it now. I'm struggling all the time. And I was like, okay, so you need to eat the cookie right? You have this fantasy that you, Paige, could do it as an adult, but you also might feel deprived and might feel like you wanted to eat the food. And we have insulin, right? We don't live so long ago that we can't, we don't have the flexibility. It's about figuring out how to dose for those foods as best we can. Yeah. We had um, an endocrinologist who recommended Max did take just a psych session with, I forget the name of the psychologist. 
So she, I walked out of the room, she briefed Max and then I didn't listen for 45 minutes. I come back in and she asked Max to leave the room. And then she says, Paige, Max is totally fine. You're the one that needs help. Oh, yeah. And that stung. That was a year ago. And I think every morning, you know, when I roll over and I look at the thing and I'm like, I need help. I need help. Like, why? I'm obsessed. Mm-hmm. I'm so obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is some question here, Paige, of what's getting in the way of that for you. And we haven't explored that. And I don't know that we can dig deep enough to understand, but there's something in your wiring that's saying, I'm going to just turn away. I know I need it, but part of me is saying, no, 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 I don't want to. Right. So there's a battle inside you. There's a part that says, I know I need it. And there's another part that says it's too much or I don't want to, or it's going to hurt too much. I don't know what it's saying, but that part that knows it needs it on behalf of your son, we need to like send it to the gym to do some bicep curls so that it can actually like make the phone call or get the support that it needs. Thank you, Paige. Good luck. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. 